electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC, Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber, Mike Santoli at the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer has the morning off. Got some news flow on this Thursday. Big revisions higher to Q1 GDP. Micron's moving some chips. Banks passed the stress test and an important day for IPOs. Our roadmap begins with the return of the IPO. Three new listings set to debut here at the NYSE. We're going to be joined by the CEOs of two of them. Plus, shares of Micron are rallying in the pre-market. The chipmaker delivered a bullish forecast, signaled an end to its supply glut, but does warn the full impact of a China chip ban. Well, that remains unknown. Disney got a downgrade over at KeyBank due to, quote, meaningful uncertainty around that media giant. We'll uh, talk a bit about that. NBA rights, ESPN, uh, you know, what else, Carl? Let's begin the big Thursday for the IPO market. Uh, thrift shop operator Savers Value Village, Kodiak Gas Services, Fidelis Insurance, all going public here at the big board. The three IPOs combined failed to hit the $1 billion mark, with Savers being the only one to exceed its projected price range. Uh, as we said, don't miss our interviews with the CEOs of Savers and Kodiak coming after the opening bell. Uh, yes, some discussion this morning, Mike, about how the pricing hasn't been ebullient. Yeah, buyers pretty discerning about it, not necessarily feeling as if they have to uh, be too aggressive on the bid side. It's it some ways textbook the way the IPO market reopens after being dormant for a long time, six or eight months after a market low. You got some stability in interest rates. Um, the deals that were kind of stacked up get out and test the market. In these cases, too, you have private equity owners or larger companies or sovereign wealth fund owners that just want to monetize these assets. So the sellers want to have a deal done. And uh, and so, you know, it, it's not necessarily the case where everyone is assuming you can flip them for a huge gain. So I think it's it's healthy on balance. We'll see how they trade. Um, and uh, the fact that we're talking about three shows that the the kind of the machinery is cranking forward but slowly enough to where you're not like losing yourself in all the tickers that are being thrown at you. So it seems, again, a pretty um, rational environment. I think would also say the history of deals that get done in the early part of a, of a reopened IPO cycle often do benefit the buyers more than the sellers. So you get rationally valued deals. I mean, if you want to look at extreme examples, Visa coming public, that was actually more of a distress sale in, in, in 08 by the banks. Even Google, I mean, it was, a, it was not a traditional IPO, but it happened at the early edge of when things were reopening after the tech crash. But those were enormous deals. Yeah. I mean, no, I'm, I'm just saying. Know, Visa was the biggest IPO of all time. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and therefore, the sellers needed to have, have it happen. Um, and so, in retrospect, it was a really good entry point. I'm not suggesting this is what's going on right now. Okay. What I'm saying is it's, it's a little more of a balanced market as opposed to if you want stock shares on this deal, you have to pay up, and it goes to the benefit of the issuer, not the buyer. Here's a look at Visa, of course, which we do remark on yeah, there you go. in terms of its market cap, although it hasn't done much in a little bit, interestingly. Sort of hung in there now for, whoop, sorry about that. Yeah, it got pretty now. expensive and uh, has been chopping sideways for quite some time. Now. There's also the notion, uh, Tom Sosnoff on Squawk, Squawk this morning sort of raised the idea that SPACs, in his view at least, set the market back five years. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know if that's the case in terms of an element of toxicity to the whole thing. Perhaps. I mean, I don't know. It seems like I don't know why you would say a traditionally underwritten IPO where you're you're actually, you know, you know what the financials are. You're not kind of giving somebody just a, a pool of capital. I don't know. I, I, I do think that there was uh, certainly a, a once bitten, twice shy type of response from buyers. But you're also not seeing like a lot of inflows into small cap growth funds. It's not as if there's there's already that fever built up uh, to where you have. Uh, this craving out there for for every new deal. So, yeah, yeah it has to happen. It's a process. It's not you know, right. a moment. And when it comes to SPACs, listen, it inflated, obviously, the uh, the size of the IPO market in a significant way and the size of the M&A market, because remember, right. every time they did one of these as well, it was counted as a transaction. Sure. Um, that's not coming back, as we talk so often. And to Mike's point, and again, the distinction in this case, the companies are beholden, at least, to the numbers they're putting in those S1s as opposed to those crazy projections you saw time after time that we would talk about endlessly that came from the SPACs because they were very different in terms of sure. uh, what they were required to actually do in terms of standing by some of those numbers. And bigger picture, you know, the, the kind of supply-demand dynamic for equities in aggregate has been pretty favorable because you still do have lots of buybacks going on. Uh, even though flows have been hit or miss, uh, you didn't have any issuance against it. And now in the last few months, both secondaries and IPOs are, are starting up again. So that'll, you know, perhaps bring things more into balance. So it's not just the fact that you have this persistent bid out there uh, going after a finite amount of equity. Right. Uh, we'll watch that. Uh, banks are the other story this morning, getting a lift after 23 of them uh, do pass the stress tests as expected, uh, aims to ensure that the large banks are sufficiently capitalized. Uh, some of the models they were looking at were, say, decline in housing prices of 38 percent, 40 in, uh, on CRE. Um, Capital One made some news as the highest uh, loss, losses in in this scenario, yes, and uh, and you know might need to uh, to top up capital. A couple of other ones, I know J.P. Morgan downgraded was a Citizens Financial yep. on that um, on that uh, rationale as well. The idea that they are going to have to accrue more capital, but in general, it's a first of all an incredibly onerous test. Uh, you're talking about just a huge crash in GDP and and asset prices, and um, yeah, it seems as if. More or less, most of these banks cleared it uh, reasonably well. Seems like a removal of just a modest overhang. We'll see what it means for share buybacks. Uh, the plans might be trickling out. I uh, do wonder if this sort of regulatory aggression that's expected to follow SVB is going to keep folks a little more uh, hesitant to get aggressive on the capital return. But, you know, we'll, we'll see there. I mean, obviously, the valuations have been crunched. Uh, in the last few months. Yep. So they're getting some relief. Some of the trade groups yesterday arguing, look, don't raise our capital requirements now. And we'll see. I guess the, the, the thinking is we might start to get some buyback dividend plans yeah. beginning tomorrow night. Yeah, it looks like we will. And uh, I guess, you know, they're, they're being penciled in in terms of a incremental change in that. I guess um, I guess City was one that uh, also is going to probably have to be a little more careful and let capital build up a, a, a little bit longer. And they had gone back into repurchasing shares uh, not too long ago. So, you know, it's a, it's a back and forth. I think it's a, you know, you clear this as a, uh, a little bit of an overhang psychologically, but I'm not sure it changed the story. You know, we came out of the SVB episode feeling like the stress tested global large banks were the relative haven. We weren't too worried about them. Now, the, the stress test says, OK, you still don't have to worry about them. Um, so I don't know if it's if it's something more than that at this point. 
I mean, I think the continued focus is the one we talk about so often, not necessarily the stress test, but the willingness of so many of these banks to lend, their inability yeah. to actually really be able to put new capital out there, given the constraints they have um, in, on their deposit base side and their interest and their net interest margin being compressed so much. Uh, and then commercial real estate, uh, which for certain banks in certain places is definitely going to be an issue. Well, the, the stress test did try to, I guess, put some numbers around that. Maybe that's helpful yes. to have people feel like it's a slow-moving problem, it but it's still going to be a problem for, yeah. for certain areas. Yeah. As much about new construction loans and or being able to fund things of that nature as it is restructuring existing um, um, financing for uh, for buildings and their landlords, which is certainly going to have to be restructured to some extent. But many of the banks don't want they're not they don't want to take buildings back, so they're going to give leniency to the extent they can. Yeah. But it will require around it will require a write down of some sure. kind. And then the question becomes: Do you start to have that same uh, asset quality question and or reduction in assets that brought about that deposit flight that sure. we saw in the spring? Yeah, it seems like a drag as opposed. I mean, but again, you're talking about negotiated terms. Yeah. And are we going to extend more credit? And we do. Have, do we have to take, uh, you know, reserves and losses as opposed to, you know, people bought trillions of dollars worth of securities backed by an eroding asset value like sure. in the uh, financial crisis, and we need to sell them now. I mean, that's not what's happening. Yeah. Although in this case, residential. I mean, there's yeah. even more chatter now about housing going even into a. Even if it were a shallow uh, recovery, it would be accretive to GDP for at least the next. Yeah, few exactly. Quarters. It's all of a sudden no longer a drag, and uh, and you know pricing. It's very. It's it's just very noisy. Affordability is bad. Uh, you know, even mortgage finance on the higher end is getting tighter, and yet you have so many cash buyers and so much uh, so little supply that it's just changing the. The, the overall dynamic and now activity really is rising. Yeah. By the way, it just gives us a quick moment to, to talk about GDP this yeah. morning. We This was a revision on Q1, uh, but we were looking for one four. They revise up seven tenths. And even with an inventory drag of two, consumer comes to the rescue with four plus. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it, remarkable. I think it in large part ratifies where the market has been tracking at this point in terms of the outperformance of consumer cyclicals, especially housing related and, and services and travel. Um, but the bond market noticed these numbers today, GDP coming after, you know, we easily absorbed the hawkish central bank speak yesterday about, oh, Fed might need to go two more times. Now you have this GDP, you know, head of steam up to some degree. And I guess the tracking for the second quarter is in that high ones, maybe 2% range. Um, and all of a sudden, yeah, there you go. The two year note is not that far below the pre-SVB levels above 5%. Uh, so this is something that has to be digested. Uh, all we had in the S&P coming into this was a adorable little 2.5%, 3% pullback. Then we got a rally off of that a couple of days ago. So I think you're in a position for the market to sort of notice that that there's a, a potential you know, headwind that arises from the stronger than anticipated economy that's, that's been working through the numbers. Plus, you've used so many different adjectives for the years <laughs> to describe markets adorable you think you've ever I used think that it was, was, that was just first? sort of this little is that a first it's you know, like when no, sports reporters use verbs for you've trotted out adorable previously? I, I haven't used an initial i haven't initiated the use of an adjective in 10 years okay <laughs> i'm always plagiarizing you got the same. i like it when you say boom goes the dynamite that's my <laughs> exactly <laughs> it was adorable yeah. pullback no but okay. it, it was just sort of like everyone saying the market's overheated we have to pull back it's going to be a little bit of a correction and then it was just sort of like by the way so here's another uh, little data point on that. The Dow down seven of eight uh, sessions into yesterday. The total loss is like 1.6% <laughs> over that seven 
loss-making day. So it just shows you that it was this sort of grudging decline. And, you know, I think in its own way, adorable. Although I do wonder, I mean, yesterday, DataTrek <laughs> looked at the percentage of buy ratings climbing. Yeah. Uh, the searches for on Google for recession have been cut in yeah. half since the beginning of the year, right. lowest since April of last year. I mean, is the street getting too bulled up too quick? Or? I think it just gets to the point where, okay, now everybody has more or less come to the side that says, we, you know, recession's not right ahead of us. I don't know that it means that all of a sudden everyone expects great things out of the economy. It's more that you're kind of burning off that pessimism that had built up about where we were headed. But yeah, now I, I did. I've been saying for like a few days now, it seems like a much more even trade. It just doesn't feel as if you can just shoot against this negative consensus and say things are going to be better than feared. And that's going to be enough. We need to have the, uh, the earnings come through. Uh, and, and all the rest of the things, as opposed to just the absence of a negative. Uh, it's going to be interesting. We didn't even mention claims at 239. Uh, yeah, also what, better than it. Yeah, what Powell talked about yesterday. Uh, still to come, we'll get to chips, obviously, and some movers, including Disney, getting hit with a downgrade out of key. Pfizer's in the mix as well. Netflix, uh, RH. Take a look at the pre-market here. Let's walk on the streets back in just a moment. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Micron's up in the pre-market. Shipmaker posted a quarterly beat, issued revenue guidance above consensus. They did cite the AI boom. This is what Sanjay Marotra had to say about customer demand on the call last night. Some of the customers, you know, given uh, the low pricing that exists in the industry today um, and before prices begin to increase substantially, some of the customers may be looking at purchasing additional volumes at this time. Uh, but in general, the trajectory is of continuing uh, improvement in uh, their um, in inventory levels end-to-end -end across the supply chain. Only fly in the ointment was this, this characterization of legacy data center as, quote, lackluster, yeah. uh, which sort of took the shine off of last night's guidance. Um, the recent acceleration in the adoption of generative AI, though, driving higher than expected industry demand from memory and storage, they say. But to your point, Carl, yeah, on the call, they as well did point to uh, uh, mainstream data center applications continuing to be lackluster. They pointed out, Mike, you know, AI servers have six to eight times the DRAM content of a regular server, three times the NAND content, 
and say some customers are deploying AI, AI compute capability with substantially higher memory content. For example, NVIDIA's uh, GH200 supercluster, which shows just how memory intensive AI workloads can be. Uh, and therefore, they say they're going to be a beneficiary, of course, of the, of the explosion in computing power needed to gener for generative AI. Yeah, and the pie just getting bigger is, is kind of the story here with Micron. Everybody wanting to say, we're part of this as well. There's an investment boom, and, uh, and we have something to sell into it. And uh, it makes sense. It did, did seem as if the inventory commentary and the idea that the overall market is, is cleared and pricing should firm up was the catalyst for a little bit of the, the, the stock performance after hours. I mean, I think the broader context is stock traded almost at 100 in January of 22. Looks super cheap then because it always does on peak earnings. Now we're losing money, but that's when you want to look to see if the, if the turn is in. It bottomed at 50, you know, so it gained back a third of what it lost. So it's kind of in that middle zone uh, where expectations aren't super high and it's just sort of rebuilding confidence at the cycles. And uh, I guess a more friendly spot. And so a stabilization of the market is sort of what they're I saying, I think right? that's essentially yeah. what they're indicating. Now, they also did try to, in some rough way, quantify the exposure to China mm -hmm. in, in these areas that may uh, have some restrictions applied to them. Right. And it's significant. Yeah. So it seems like the market isn't immediately going to that spot to say we have to write, you know, sort of... Uh, assume those revenues away. Uh, low double-digit percentage is what they said. And, of course, NVIDIA yesterday said uh, no material impact. At the same time, you got Ellison saying we're spending billions on NVIDIA chips. Yeah. And then CRM with a $4 billion investment in the U.K. over five years, obviously driven in large part by AI. Yeah. yeah. But in, on NVIDIA, I mean, being having that chip or continued potential bans of certain of their products in China... There has to be some concern about that, doesn't there? You would think so. Um, I mean, the, the market barely flinched at it. It was like a 3% dip. The stock's up 180% this year. Yeah, I guess the, the theory is they're operating, they're, they're racing to meet demand. Right. Right so now, they in, don't in have a enough. sense, it's not as if the, this stuff's going to pile up yeah. uh, if it's not sold into that channel. But I don't, you know. I and just, perhaps that they can come up with yet again another sort of lower end version that will meet the meet the expectations like, of the U.S. Like an ad tier for chips. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. right, this sort of, you know, this, yeah, this won't kill us all, or the Chinese won't be able to use this to develop weapons of mass destruction. I don't right. know. Yeah. I, I, uh, no, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely hard to know. Um, it did remind me, and I, I actually showed a chart not that long ago of, uh, I think I told you this, EMC in the late 90s, yeah. where it was just, company said, we have no choice but to pay you for this equipment. We just need the data storage. We have to do it. The chart was just absolutely wild for, you know, 10 years, really. But the last three was, was absurd. And the buyers were not willing and happy buyers of the, of the product. They just felt they had to. And that's where we are maybe with, with NVIDIA right now. That's with a smarter product, of course. We've talked about than this raw in light of what, like, car dealers did during COVID, yeah. charging above MSRP yeah. and just not generating goodwill well, over exactly. the long term. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm not saying NVIDIA is in that, in that position because it does seem as if the capabilities are unique uh, in terms of their products, but it, it does seem like there is that feeding frenzy by necessity among the buyers. Right. Uh, well, watch it. Obviously, huge, huge uh, uh, dynamic for the market. We're, uh, we're on the IPO watch as well. As we said, we'll talk to the CEOs of Savers Value, Village, and Kodiak Gas Services, two of the three companies going public today. Take one more look here at the pre-market as we'll get this opening bell underway in under 10 minutes. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. We mentioned the banks a few moments ago, and in fact, you'll see a bunch of them on the S&P pre-market gainer list. There's, uh, you'll see BNY, Schwab, uh, Zions, but even Goldman, BAC, JPM, Morgan Stanley, all up 1% plus. Wells up almost 2%. Opening bell coming up in seven minutes. Disney shares, uh, we'll take a look. I think they may be moving a bit lower in the pre-market. This morning, KeyBank downgraded the stock. It's calling it a sector weight, had been an overweight. Saying it's got five good reasons to step aside, among them domestic theme park expectations perhaps too high, direct-to-consumer subscriber growth having stalled, ESPN moving to streaming. That's, quote, materially harder than we initially thought. In fact, I sort of gave this a little bit more uh, oh, uh, focus here, just in my read of it. They say 30, they're, you know, everybody's trying to figure out if ESPN goes full streaming, what do you need in terms of subscribers to meet or exceed what the linear network currently makes? And so these guys come up with, um, let's assume 30% of their content budget, of their $30 billion content budget goes to uh, a sports. Break even would be 25 million subscribers at 33 bucks a month. And they seem to think that ARPU is highly unlikely to actually gain uh, a great deal of uh, traction and that makes them cautious on cash on the cash cow that may have a worse future in streaming versus linear than originally anticipated is what they say yeah they're citing some survey work about willingness to pay i guess among consumers i mean what is that a third of the of of cable households would have to opt Uh, in 25 mil not quite but not quite a lot but a lot at 33 a month 33 a month so yeah over 360 Um, bucks a year uh that's a pretty big number um, I did I like know. how he said, um, you know, this note might call the bottom, <laughs> but, but we, we don't think doubts. so. <laughs> Always <laughs> yes. good when an yeah. analyst is calling their own. Right. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not in the direction of, look, it's been a weak stock. We thought things would turn. It's trading at levels we first saw like eight or nine years ago. Um, and, you know, maybe sentiment's been washed out. But honestly, 75% buy rating still on the street. People do like it uh, just in terms of, you know, quality within the sector, I think, is, is essentially the, uh, the takeaway. And then the valuation is neither here nor there. I yeah. mean, you look at, you know, the enterprise value to cash flow, and it's just kind of where it traded before the pandemic. Right and around 12 times fiscal year 24 EBITDA, yeah. um, which is not, not cheap, but not expensive, exactly. overly expensive. It's not overly expensive. And um, 40 billion yeah. in net debt. Yeah, so it's all that kind of give and take. It is. Maybe the more interesting line is about parks, where they argue yeah. attendance has been softer than consensus in April and in May, and margins may come under pressure as they've got some stuff to deal with in terms of their employees and comp, um, which doesn't sound at all like an environment where the consumer is just traveling like mad. It doesn't. I think I do think maybe uh, kind of putting it up against a complacency about how theme parks are not the thing you have to be concerned about at all. Um, but really, though, also streaming churn is a, is a big theme of, of the call as well. Just this idea that Disney Plus and Hulu have not necessarily had a much better churn experience. It seems like, you know, in total subs kind of stalling out, uh, sub growth stalling out. So uh, not a lot that we didn't, I, I think, you know, know uh, in a sense that was that was 
surrounding the company, but um, but definitely bundled all together, it, it sort of gives you this takeaway of probably no rush to buy it here, I think, is, 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 is the, the message. It does contrast nicely with the city. Positive Catalyst watch on Netflix. I think they go to 500 uh, based on yeah. the ad tier optimism. Yes. And, uh, and, and just the buy side loves the Netflix story. This stock traded almost at 700. Yeah. Earnings estimates going up for all the reasons that the analysts are citing. And there's still 19 non-buy ratings on the street. So every analyst can be the one to say, I'm not going to be the last one to capitulate. <laughs> Let's get the opening bell at the CNBC Real-Time Exchange at the big board. It is uh, reinsurance company Fidelis celebrating its IPO today. One of three on the floor. Uh, we'll talk about them a lot this morning. And at the NASDAQ, it's Beloved Arise, a national uh, youth organization. We haven't really touched on um, oil, even as Goldman yesterday trimmed some of their Brent forecasts. And, of course, Buffett continues to pile into Oxy. Yes, um, bought some more Oxy. It sort of inches up. So I view his approach to this stock as really a, a quasi-arbitrage because the warrants that he holds to buy $5 billion share, additional shares of, of Oxy are struck at something like 59.62. So anytime Oxy shares trade below that, there's an incentive if you're going to exercise the warrants down the road to buy it below that price, and it, it reduces your overall aggregate cost. So, uh, you know, we can kind of try to divine some gr grand intentions around this, owning the whole company. He says no. His comments were we have no intention to do that. It, it seems just the math uh, gets gets him to or gets Berkshire to, to bid at those levels and really more points up how, you know, the, the, the whole group has, has traded. Uh, Mike, give me those numbers again on the warrants. It's, I think or, it struck at 59.62. Okay. So in theory, you know, if it trades below that, right. uh, you know, and, and you still think that the, the overall fundamental value long term is intact and you're willing to exercise those warrants at some point, it makes sense, I guess, to just buy a little bit. You'll bring your average price, price and bring. I guess Got that's it. the logic. Got yeah. it. Understood. Uh, um, guys, I want to. I want. Uh, there's uh, Berkshire. There's the headline, of course. And as Mike said, and you were there. I mean, he's yeah, not yeah. going to buy the whole company because that was the speculation. Yeah. Although for a some while. have pointed out that didn't he have a, a similarly sized stake in Burlington Northern Santa Fe before acquiring the whole company? I mean, something would probably have to happen to make him want to bid for everything. But yeah, yeah, definitely. It's not the. It's it's not as if he's building with a goal of owning the whole company. It seems company he owns the most dollar-wise of, we won't know well, and we're continuing to focus uh, on it because uh, it's, it's near that $3 trillion number. Yeah. What is it? 190-something, right? We're, we're getting very close. 190.73 yes. for Apple. That's what I'm talking about here. Obviously, Berkshire's largest holding yes. by far. Absolutely. Um, yeah, um, 190.73. That's the price it would have to get to based on the share count that we think we know and right. all the rest of it. And it just sort of brings up the fact that you're kind of pointing to this spot in in, in, in empty space to say that this is the moment it gets there. Um, you know, it, it, it's uh, doubled the market cap in three years. So it got to a trillion and a half in in June of 2020. And so uh, and the stock has done even better than that, of course, because they keep reducing the share flow. Um, and it's, uh, it represents a huge chunk of, uh, of, of Berkshire's overall you know, public portfolio at this point. In fact, if you look at the stock, Berkshire Hathaway against Apple, over multi-year periods, it has actually Are they tracked. tracked? Not exactly, but you, if you did that blended with like some insurance and consumer staples, oh, it gets you right there. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Uh, that is, uh, we sometimes forget Berkshire's right up there in terms of market value as well. Oh, yeah. It's like number it's seven. Top six or eight. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, 
with its own market value. Where are we on multiples in terms of Apple right now? Are we getting towards a high a high point, Mike? Yeah, I mean, it's it's getting toward 30 uh, if it's not there exactly. I think it's, uh, so call it 25 times free cash flow. I mean, most of the earnings are free cash flow. So it's, it's not close to being, you know, the most expensive company among the huge NASDAQ stocks, of course. You have to go to NVIDIA and Amazon and, and the rest to look for that. But it's certainly at the upper end of Apple's own history mm-hmm. uh, where it has traded. So, um, you know, it, it's getting stretched. And I keep pointing out the incredibly orderly linear climb that that chart implies right there. It just shows it's just kind of... Meta's kind of the same we're way. We're buying more. Yes. Meta's same way, although... Meta way below the all-time high, so it's doing that as a as a comeback. But you're absolutely right. People just have locked into the fundamental stories and the balance sheets. They feel like, you know, they're not going to get fired for owning more of. Uh, we've been comparing the three trillion to various economies or countries or GDPs yeah. today. Goldman says it's actually bigger than five entire market cap sectors. Yes. Uh, not combined, but bigger than REITs, bigger than materials, utes, energy, and staples. Yeah. Uh, as, as, as determined by, uh, by Goldman. Exactly. Um, which is, by the way, a more relevant comparison than GDP, which is just the amount of output in a given year for a country. That's arbitrary. Um, but look, it's had $100 billion in net income this year. Yeah. So I'm not sure any of those sectors have that and growing in future years. So you can, you can argue it back and forth a lot of ways. I do think there's a chance that you know, the markets, you're kind of emptying the tank of, of willing buying power uh, in that category of stock before too long. Uh, what's interesting to me here is is the way that, you know, Treasury yields have gotten noticed and they're, they're going higher. It's not necessarily hurting the NASDAQ. That story is that that relationship is, is, is loosened up. But just in general, giving keeping the market from just celebrating the great economic numbers because of, of what could come next in terms of policy. Guys, I, I didn't think that I would uh, revisit the EV toll market anytime soon. Oh, I soon. knew you were watching, Joby. I am. Yeah. I have to, because uh, it takes me back. Obviously, it takes me back to that time of the SPACs where, uh, where hope was, uh, was everywhere, uh, and these things were, uh, were rising substantially, and business plans got funded that perhaps shouldn't have. That said, Joby and Archer, remember the two of them? Joby is now distinguishing itself to a certain extent. Look at yesterday and today. Why? Uh, it, its production launch, it received a permit to fly the first aircraft built on a production line. This was news out yesterday. Aircraft expected to become the first EV toll aircraft to be delivered to a customer. Production line and aircraft built in close collaboration with uh, uh, Toyota. And this is in California. But uh, expected to become the first aircraft to be delivered when it moves to Edwards Air Force Base in 2024 to be operated by Joby as part of the company's Agility Prime contract with the U.S. Air Force. Um, This is what we used to characterize as flying cars. They're not. Uh, What they are is all electric, small planes that eventually even may be autonomous and that are thought to create a new world of uh, mobility. Uh, and of course, it always brings me back to that Morgan Stanley report, it's which nine. said nine trillion. Yeah, nine trillion. But by 2050, we got time. To be fair, we still have 27 yeah. or so years. But yes, uh, that was their that was their median case. Their bull case was 18 trillion. Nice. An 18 That's a lot of Morgan Stanley, around. 18 trillion dollar <laughs> total addressable market. So basically, the entire world will change completely 
Uh, I should say that, you know, if things don't go well, they have a lower TAM. But yes, $9 trillion globally. Wow. They also added the Toyota North American CEO to the board. Uh, so I mean, Toyota's, <laughs> by the way, which just had, I think, May global sales up 10. I mean, you're dealing with a very, yeah. someone who knows how to operate at scale. Well, for sure. Yeah, it's, it doesn't hurt to have... Uh, have that one there, but um, you know. So we have but back above its back price. By the way, I was going to say. So we have we back have, above we have its Joby, back price. We have a Virgin Galactic launch yes. and three other IPOs. So Correct. we're back. <laughs> it's, 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 it's happening again. You want us back? You got any ideas? <laughs> no. No. Uh, no. Uh, you mentioned um, sort of how rates are not necessarily yeah. colliding with equities. It reminds me of Powell yesterday, where Sarah gave him the chance to jawbone the markets yeah. a bit. And she said, that the, the, you know, they're, they're, they're fighting the Fed, does that bother you? And I think his words were something along the lines of, that's not how I think about it. Right. And there's some pieces written this morning about how he could have used that to yes. put, put the markets in their place and he took a pass. Yes, and 11 months ago, he more or less did use it at Jackson Hole with the S&P 500 having just touched 4,300. So really not that far from these levels. But I think it's, it's very consistent with his general sense out there of we've done a lot, we're gonna let time do some of the work at this point in terms of having higher rates, restrain the economy and inflation. We don't have to target uh, outright job losses. We don't have to target asset prices. We think that this is going to work its way through the system, or at least we're uh, going to try and, and see if it does. Uh, data dependency was the overall message, I think, that was meant to be conveyed and, and more or less got there. But now you get better data. You have revised higher GDP. We got PCE coming tomorrow, so you have an edgy bond market. And so, therefore, the 10-year note yield, you know, at the upper end, again, of its, uh, of its range, certainly of its post SVB range. Now some headlines out of Brainerd, uh, who's relatively new into the gig, but uh, reason to believe we can get near 2% uh, inflation before the election. Yeah. Okay. November uh, which is 24. not what Powell was saying yesterday. No, uh, but that's also, I mean, a year and a few months away, right? So, so again, you don't know if it's going to be a straight line down to that point. Um, but, you know, Powell yesterday also granting the fact that things like shelter costs are going to be easing. So kind of using some of the forward looking indicators of, of inflation as opposed to, you know, if you go back last year, you didn't want to talk about it. Remember his, his line. This is not a time for a particularly nuanced view of inflation. We're not they were even so thinking far about behind, thinking about so far behind. Inflation is so off our, our target. Let's not even try to get subtle about it. Now it's different. It's a, you're, they're close enough. They're in the zone of where they want to be. And uh, they're kind of working around the edges uh, of policy, seems um, to me. Guys, By the way, did, Micron I... is the biggest loser in the S&P right now. Oh, it uh, turned around. It turned around. It's down almost 3%. So I don't know if that was just a quick sell the news, uh, you know, a, a, a chance to get out when nothing much changed in the quarter. But just a note. It's a good note. And the um, banks are at the top. Um, did want to hit, guys, uh, my daily quick uh, review of the continued uh, trial in San Francisco, FTC versus uh, Microsoft as Microsoft continues to obviously try to win this case, prevent uh, uh, an injunction that would stop the deal. Um, yesterday, you had uh, video depositions. You had Satya Nadella get uh, on the stand and direct, uh, obviously, in a cross-examination, a redirect. Bobby Kotick, the same. Um, you had a Microsoft expert. There's some cool sketches. There's Satya, uh, as you see it right there. Uh, you know, hard to characterize a lot of it, um, as you might expect. Nadella, once again, sort of making it very clear that we are not going to uh, 
in any way consider making Call of Duty, for example, exclusive to the Xbox platform. Um, and Bobby Kotick as well saying you'd alienate 100 million monthly active players. You'd have a revolt if you remove the game from one platform. Gamers are incredibly passionate. You get invested in the experience. It's like a sport. There's a look. Um, government may have scored a couple of points in its redirect of uh, Microsoft's expert witness. Um, you know, uh, and today it's over. Today you get final arguments, closing arguments. Um, amazingly enough. Um, next day, findings of fact and law are due. And again, as I said yesterday, there's a possibility we could hear from the judge as soon as next week. We'll see. Um, most observers believe that the FTC has not been able to fully make a case. Uh, not clear that even with uh, what was a fairly aggressive uh, uh, cross yesterday of Microsoft's expert witness that they were able to do that. But we'll reserve judgment here and we'll uh, sort of see what today brings. But this was remarkable in the speed that they got to a trial and the speed of the trial itself. And then the expectation that you could see a ruling from the judge in record time as well. Um, all of which would take place before the July 18th deadline in terms of the termination right now for the agreement. But as we've said many times, it's still an expectation given the appeals process underway in the UK of the CMA decision, the antitrust regulator there, that Microsoft will have to extend that agreement with Activision. And of course, that will cost them. Cost them per share, maybe more, you know, uh, cost them um, in other ways, perhaps. I don't know if you increase reverse termination fee, which does go up on a, I think it's quarterly basis, but that's a report that's the for another day. Is that the is that the extension would involve an actual higher oh, yes. share price? Oh, yes. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, because there is a belief that Activision would be worth more. Were in you a better to, spot. Were yeah. you to say, I want to buy you today, the premium would be above. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and that its business has improved. Which goes to the point as to why you see it, even with what are significant doubts as to whether this deal will still get to the finish line, given the opposition in the UK, yeah. that Activision... Uh, inhabits that price because there is a belief that the overall fundamentals of the business. Yeah, the downside's not that not exactly. that great. Yeah, exactly. Um, but we don't know what that negotiation will look like, or whether this there's some plan Microsoft has to somehow keep Activision separate, close the deal, and say to the CMA, "We'll continue the appeals process with Activision as separate." I don't. I don't even want to get into the speculation. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, finally, paychecks. Uh, we talked about jobless claims a moment ago, but they did come in ahead of expectations. This is the first peak above the, is it the 200-day since the beginning of the year uh, on PAYX, uh, if you're paying attention to the labor market right now. Pretty decent tone to start this uh, Thursday. Dow's up 110, back to 43.84. When we come back, thrift store operator Savers Value Village, among three companies jumping into the public markets today. We'll talk to the CEO here at Post 9 as we go to break. Still a little more data on deck. Uh, pending homes. Uh, don't forget tomorrow, of course, the all-important PCE. By the way, Nike also uh, tonight. But that tenure back to 487. Don't go anywhere. Big day for IPOs. As we said, there's a look at uh, today's big three, including uh, Savers Value Village. Prices at 18 above the range. And we are going to talk to the CEO in just a couple of moments as we get a decent open here. S&P's up uh, almost six points. Don't go anywhere. 
One of three IPOs begin to trade today. Savers Value Village going public at the NYSC. The for-profit thrift store will trade under ticker SVV, currently priced at 18. That was above the range. Mark Walsh, Savers Value Village CEO, joins us here at Post 9. It's great to have you. Congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's an uh, exciting day for our 21,000 team members. Um, our mission is to make secondhand second nature. We're really proud of what we do and how we do it. I want to talk about the business, but you're being used in part as a tell for the IPO market in general. And we were talking during the break about uh, how you think about how you thought about this process beginning quite a while ago now, right? Yeah, we started the we started the, the test the waters meetings in late 21, early 22. So we educated the investor community uh, during that time. We've kept our S1 fresh uh, throughout that period, and it's worked out to be. I think a great benefit for us as we got through the, this part of the process on the roadshow, investor community really excited about, I think, what we do and how we do it. Uh, profitability metrics are, are strong, and we've got some great secular tailwinds behind us that make this, uh, from an investment standpoint, very attractive. We, we've seen some uh, takes that it's somehow a a framework to play an economy that gets softer, perhaps, but maybe there are sort of generational dynamics that make it timeless. I don't, how, do you, how do you think about that? Well, that's interesting that you asked because there are generational aspects that do make it timeless. What we're seeing, especially today, is our new customers are skewing much, much younger. And if you walked into a store on a Saturday or a Friday or a Saturday, you'd see a great cross-section of age and demographics in those environments. But, you know, you talk about uh, resiliency of the business. Over the last 15 years, you take out the COVID, uh, excuse me, the COVID year, positive same-store sales comps. So it's a pretty good track record over the last 15 years over multiple economic cycles. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of uh, it being the sort of prevailing mode, I have teenage daughters. It's kind of what they do is, is, is thrift and, and look secondhand. Is there a risk that it's therefore a fashion phase? Uh, if, to, 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 to look in that direction as opposed to something that's actually going to be enduring? No, I, th I think it is enduring. I think what we see in Canada, you know, we typically have, uh, when we talk to our executives in Canada, they see the Canadian market as five to seven years ahead of the U.S. market in terms of acceptance of thrift as, main, as a mainstream retail environment. So we, we're not worried about that. I think for us it's about making the experience contemporary, 80% of consumers that we surveyed indicate they've touched thrift as either a shopper, a donor, or both. 90% of that 80% indicate they're going to interact with thrift on a more ongoing basis in the years to come. So we're pretty, we're pretty bullish on the future. Proceeds from today, I think, going to be used to pay down debt. Is that correct? Principally to pay down debt. The upsides we did will, will be a secondary to our uh, private equity partner areas. Uh, and as for Aries, I mean, they'll still control the company. What are their plans in terms of selling shares over time? Do you know? They've been a, they've been a tremendous partner. Um, I would I don't think it's appropriate for me to speak on their behalf as to their uh, their disposition strategy. But I couldn't be happier with the partnership we've had with Aries over the last four years during my tenure. All right, but I, you know, shareholders want to know if they're going to be dumping a lot more shares because it would have an impact. So, is there any plan on their part you can share? No, no I, I can't share that at this time. I mean, I think we're, we're going through the process. Obviously, this is the first secondary. What would make sense and how Aries positions it? Look, they're invested in the business. They want to make sure that the business, the business continues to perform strongly, both uh, operationally and certainly from a, a public markets perspective. 
You mentioned uh, Canada being a few years ahead. Is is the growth going to, is it a North American story? And if it's about increasing density in North America, why is Canada, why do they think of this differently than we do here in, in the States? Well, interesting, the our unaided brand awareness in Canada is 93%. So it is really a powerful and mainstream part of the Canadian retail segment. Um, we still have, we still have a ways to go. I mean, we have 71 stores in the province of Ontario. It's only 14 million people. We're opening up two or three more in the coming years. So we're very excited about our, our prospects in Canada as well. And obviously, I think the stores ramp up faster in Canada, given that brand awareness. Does, the, does, the sec, does this market lend itself more to an in-person experience and therefore, you know, online is, can, won't be as strong? I, I think it's a great question. Two things. Um, we did a lot of work around should we should we pursue the online category at five dollar AURs? It's it's simply uneconomic and not not a smart use of our uh, our investors' capital. On the flip side of that, we do again survey data. Seventy percent of thrifters much prefer the brick and mortar experience. You get to touch it. It's about that uh, thrill of the treasure hunt. You know, we put thirty three thousand items new items in a store on average per week, and we turn 15 times a year. So the average, the best of our customers coming in once a month, every time they come into the, the environment, it's fresh, it's new. I mean, it's really super exciting for them. Uh, can't, it's fascinating. I, I can't wait to hear more about it and watch, see how the stock trades, but thank you for coming in. Yeah, thank you very much. P appreciate the time. Great to see Great you. To see you. I'm David Faber. Join me, Carl Quintanilla, and Jim Cramer for the opening bell hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street, the podcast. Subscribe for free wherever you listen, and you can always catch us live weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.